So Mike, it's always fascinating when a seemingly unbeatable company is suddenly vulnerable. The companies where they're so embedded into a culture, it's, it's hard to imagine life without them. Yeah, but then sometimes, one day, poof, they're gone, right? Yeah, it doesn't happen every day, right? I think of like Blockbuster, right? Which we've covered in this show as an example. And, you know, there was a time when they were on every corner. I never saw them going out of business. Yeah, or, you know, Borders. I mean, I, I remember Borders, actually the first company I ever worked for, one of our biggest customers was Borders. Huh. And they were just completely replaced by online retailers like Amazon. Uh, and then you think about more recently, uh, companies like MoviePass, another case study we've featured in the past. Yeah, but today we're going to talk about a company much bigger than any of those, actually. I mean, could you imagine if you woke up one day and you no longer Googled for information? I actually can't even imagine that. I mean, <laughs> Google's been around, I, gosh, what, like pretty much as long as the public internet? At least it feels like uh -huh. that anyway. I mean, yeah. most of our fact-finding missions, they start and end on Google, right? Yeah, but there are cracks, and we're just starting to see them today. Cracks that could turn the search market on its head. Yeah, something that Microsoft and many others have been hoping, maybe even praying would happen for quite some time now, actually. Yeah, so we're gonna dive into what happened to Google, the company that nearly invented the technology used to power applications like ChatGPT that caused them to fall behind in this AI arms race. That and more after this quick intro. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. First, a quick word from our sponsors. As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com 
forward slash rocketshipfm24, you'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is and save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So as we discussed a couple weeks ago with Google Bard, its newly launched experimental conversational AI service, Google is scrambling to ship AI products. But past scandals, botched launches, and a talent drain have put it in a surprise position where they're actually playing catch up in a field it helped to create. So how did Google seemingly fall so far behind in the AI race? Well, we're gonna have to go back to 2016, a few months after becoming CEO of Google, Sundar Pichai made a sweeping proclamation. Google, whose name had become synonymous with search, would now be an AI-first company. Announced at Google's massive I.O. developer conference, it was the first major order of business after taking the company reins. Here's Sundar Pichai's speech at a Google Pixel 2 launch event in 2017. Since last year and since Google I.O., We've been working hard, continuing our shift from a mobile-first to an AI-first world. We are rethinking all our core products and working hard to solve user problems by applying machine learning and AI. The exact meaning of AI first was a bit unclear, but its importance was evident. Amazon had actually surprised Google by launching its own voice assistant, Alexa, just two years before, which has now become a household name. This was a major blow to Google as their mission was to organize the world's information. And a service like that should have actually been their own. At the conference, Google was unveiling their own version called Assistant, and the company was being refocused on useful AI under Pachai's leadership. After seven years, Google once again finds itself in a similar predicament, having been outpaced in a field it should have been dominating. However, this time, it's even more problematic. The challenger is OpenAI, a relatively small San Francisco startup, not a deep-pocketed behemoth like Amazon. The product in question is, of course, ChatGPT, a bot that can generate human-like text on almost any topic, from sitcom plots to code snippets and resignation letters. It's based on a technological advancement pioneered by Google years ago, but now OpenAI has taken it to new heights. Despite Google's announcement of a similar technology called Lambda two years ago, the public has been captivated by ChatGPT ever since its launch in November. And to make this worse for Google, Microsoft is on its heels. Here's Microsoft CEO Sasha Nadella talking about integrating AI into the Bing search engine. Bing with AI is going to completely change what people can expect from search. We are grounded in the fact that, you know, Google dominates this space. I, I feel like a new race is starting. 
with a complete new platform technology. I'm excited for the users to have choice finally and a real competitive race out there. As many of its rivals expected, the $1.3 trillion elephant in the room has woken up. After PitchEye declared the situation a, quote, code red, he enlisted co-founders Larry Page and Sergey Brin to review the company's AI strategy. Brin, at least, has recently become so involved that he filed his first code review request in years, as recently reported by Forbes. But while the upstarts have a healthy respect for Google, they no longer fear it, it appears, despite its $280 billion in annual revenue and its you know, army of researchers and engineers. Google lums, they actually lead challengers like Adept, Cohere, and Character AI, and they feel safe working with its own cloud infrastructure for their models. And sometimes Google has even invested in these companies probably as uh, a bit of a safeguard uh, in case they do blow up. One former Google employee was quoted as saying, the pirates have their boats in the ocean and we are coming. Now, Google didn't set out to be the vulnerable freight tanker in these uncharted waters, but a fraught history in AI and big innovations, including scandals around its AI ethics research, major backlash after the launch of a freakishly human-sounding AI called Duplex, and a persistent brain drain of AI talent, it's all left Google lurching to play catch up. So five years ago, Google had what could be considered a coming out party of sorts for the company's artificial intelligence ambitions. That year at IO, Pichai unveiled Duplex, a stunningly human-sounding AI service that could book restaurant reservations for users. The AI was programmed to sound like a person by mimicking verbal tics like um and uh, taking long pauses and modulating its voice. The goal was for the machine to book appointments automatically, even if the business didn't have a digital booking system like OpenTable. The AI would step in and robocall restaurants when reservations couldn't be made online. Here's an actual clip from that demo. So what you're gonna hear is the Google Assistant actually calling a real salon to schedule the appointment for you. Let's listen. Hi, I'm calling to book a woman's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Mm-hmm. Sure, what time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like, what service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay, we have a 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. is fine. Okay, what's her first name? The first name is Lisa. Okay, perfect. So I will see Lisa at 10 o'clock on May 3rd. Okay, great. Thanks. Great. Have a great day. Bye. It was a pretty impressive showing, and many were legitimately awestruck. But they were also a little bit disturbed and unsettled. They were confused about whether or not the AI would identify itself as a robot. News outlets around the world debated the ethics of a machine intentionally deceiving humans. 
This was hardly the first time a high profile Google announcement had inspired immediate public backlash. Like in 2012 with Google Glass, they debuted that and soon people were calling people wearing those glasses, glass holes in uh, kind of a public vernacular. Do you remember that, Michael? I mean, I don't think we had that many glass holes in Cleveland, <laughs> Ohio, but I mean, yes, I remember a little bit of it. Yeah. So. This duplex backlash, it, it stung. The New York Times called the demo somewhat creepy. Zineb Tefeki, the sociologist and writer, was more pointed in their criticism. Google Assistant making calls pretending to be human, not only without disclosing that it's a bot, but adding um and ah to deceive humans on the other end with the room cheering, it was horrifying. Silicon Valley is ethically lost, rudderless, and has not learned a thing. It, this backlash, it slowed down the company from releasing future demos and AI products in general. What happened next? Well, we'll get into that right after a quick break. So before the break, we're discussing Google Duplex's release that generated a ton of backlash in the tech media at the time, giving the company pause when looking to release future AI products. But there are also other controversies in the company's AI division that likely caused the company to move more cautiously. In 2018, Google drew heat from its own employees after signing a deal with the Pentagon to provide technology for Project Maven, an effort to use AI to improve the accuracy of drone strikes. In response, the company declined to renew the contract and very publicly released a set of AI principles designed to ethically guide development of the technology. In 2019, it was lambasted when it emerged that contractors were training the company's facial recognition software on unhoused people with, quote, darker skin. In 2020, the company came under fire again after terminating Tim Nick Gebru and Margaret Mitchell, the company's ethical AI leads, after they had co-authored a paper criticizing biases in AI technology the company used in its own search engine. The departures infuriated the research community. Jeff Dean, head of Google Research, later admitted that the company's AI unit took a reputational hit because of the episode. With the caveat that no one truly knows what AI firepower Google may or may not be sitting on, it's clear the company's facing a crisis in a landmark partnership between Microsoft, powerful old foe, and OpenAI, a nimble emerging rival. The deal gives OpenAI integration in Microsoft's lesser used search engine and web browser, but more importantly, access to the valuable training data those products generate. Dangerous prospect for an incumbent like Google. Here's a clip from BBC News on this topic. Now, as you've heard, Microsoft's announced plans to improve its Bing search engine to include artificial intelligence. The company boasts it will change the way we use the Internet by providing specific search answers more quickly. A chat box will appear beside searches, allowing users to ask questions. It will use the same technology as ChatGPT, which was launched two months ago. I talked to Carolina Milanesi the, uh, from the heart of tech founder and principal analyst. I asked her why they're also so keen to get in on the act. They're keen because the idea of using artificial intelligence to augment the exchange between the human and 
the uh, the search engine will allow for uh, new monetization, new models from an advertising perspective. And of course, for Microsoft, which is a bit of an underdog uh, when it comes to search, there's more flexibility in disrupting the model because they're less dependent on the revenue compared to Google. In order to release AI products more quickly, Google has reportedly said it will recalibrate the amount of risk it's willing to take in releasing the technology. A stunning admission for a big tech company so closely scrutinized for the toxic content that crops up on its platforms. OpenAI CEO Sam Altman raised an eyebrow at the strategy in a sub-tweet last month where he said, OpenAI will continually decrease the level of risk we are comfortable taking with new models as they get more powerful, not the other way around. But if it weren't for Google, JetGPT might not even exist. That's right. In 2017, a cadre of Google researchers wrote a seminal paper on AI called Attention is All You Need, proposing a new network architecture for analyzing text called Transformers. The invention became foundational to generative AI tech like JetGPT, which creates new content. That includes Google's own large language model, Lambda. First announced in 2021, the bot generates text to engage in complex conversations. Today, I'm excited to share our latest breakthrough in natural language understanding, Lambda. It's a language model for dialogue applications. And it's open domain, which means it's designed to converse on any topic. And while it's still in research and development, we've been using it internally to explore novel interactions. For example, say you wanted to learn about one of my favorite planets, Pluto. Lambda already understands quite a lot about Pluto and millions of other topics. Let's listen to a conversation the team had with Pluto a few days ago. I'm so curious about you. I sense your excitement. Ask me anything. Tell me what I would see if I visited. You would get to see a massive canyon, some frozen icebergs. When Google demoed it at I.O. that year, the company had Lambda speak from the perspective of the dwarf planet Pluto and a paper airplane. (laughs) The technology worked so well that Blake Lemoyne, an engineer working on the project, claimed that it was sentient and had a soul. Here's a clip from Bloomberg Technology with Blake. Here's the thing. If it fails a Turing test, all of my subjective perceptions about what I experienced talking to it Well, we can pretty much put them aside. It failed the Turing test. But Google doesn't want to allow that to be run. In fact, they have hard-coded into the system that it can't pass the Turing test. They hard-coded that if you ask it if it's an AI, it has to say yes. Mm. Um, Google has a policy against creating sentient AI. And in fact, when I informed them that I think they had created sentient AI, they said, no, that's not possible. We have a policy against that. So let's talk about what Google has said. They say hundreds of researchers and engineers have conversed with Mm -hmm. Lambda. They were not aware of anyone else making these kind of wide ranging assertions the way that you have. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we do have some of the transcripts that you shared. You ask the computer what it's afraid of. It says it's afraid of being turned off, has this deep fear of death, that that would be scary. 
Why, why does this matter? Why should we be talking yeah. about whether a robot has rights? So to be honest, I don't think we should. I don't think that should be the focus. The fact is Google is being dismissive of these concerns the exact same way they have been dismissive of every other ethical concern AI ethicists have raised. Google dismissed the claim and later Lemion himself. Now, getting back to that seminal paper, attention is all you need. All but one of the paper's eight co-authors have now left Google. Six have started their own companies, and one has actually joined OpenAI. Aidan Gomez, one of the paper's authors and CEO of the artificial intelligence rival Cohere, said Google's environment was just too rigid for him. Still, Google has scale on its side. As of December, the company had more than 190,000 full-time employees. Even after undergoing its largest round of layoffs in its 25-year history this year, cutting some 12,000 jobs or 6% of their total workforce, the company is still massive. Okay, let's take one last break and we'll be back after a quick word from our sponsors. So now we find ourselves at a crossroads where Bard and ChatGPT are competing for attention and ultimately market share. Both models use a transformer architecture, type of neural network that processes sequential input. But where GPT-3 and GPT-4 were trained on a massive data set of text from the internet, including books, articles, and documents from the open internet, Lambda was trained on Infiniset, a data set focused on dialogue and conversations. That means Lambda is trained to understand the intent behind a user's questions and the nuance of context. To achieve this, the Google team grouped high-level concepts and topics into clusters based on hierarchy, which were used to inform the model's choices when responding. In a nutshell, Lambda's responses are supposed to be ultra-authentic and mimic human speech in such a way that it can't be distinguishable from a real human, as we heard on the appointing booking demo earlier in this episode. It can also switch context when a user changes the subject like you and I can. The major difference is that BARD, which is powered by Lambda, can draw its responses from the internet, pulling in real-time data, which is pretty appealing, given that ChatGPT is still convinced that it's 2021. It means that BARD will supposedly surface more accurate and up-to-date information when it comes to current events and research. It's supposed to be a more advanced personal assistant than, say, ChatGPT. Yeah, ChatGPT, on the other hand, it's better at textual functions like writing articles, or emails or coming up with content marketing ideas. It's a basic text tool, but it's not perfect either. It can be a little vague and often gives generic answers even when you ask it not to. Yeah, Bard is light years ahead in terms of its user-friendly interface as well. Not only does it just look nicer with formatted text that's way easier to scan than kind of ChatGPT's chunky text, but you can also edit your questions after you ask them. You can view multiple responses that it prepares to the same question, and every response has a call to action that says to Google it. So you can actually confirm the sources that are being used within its answers. Still, Microsoft has integrated ChatGPT into its Bing search engine to give users the ability to ask direct questions of the search engine, rather than searching for terms of keywords to find the best results. It also has it built into its Teams, Edge, and pretty much every Microsoft Office application that you can imagine. Even the Opera browser also is pledged to integrate ChatGPT in the future. Clearly, ChatGPT as a chatbot 
is just one example of how it could be used as many more applications access the service through its API and eventually augment the service through ChatGPT plugins, which launched in beta recently. Google Bard, on the other hand, it's still a standalone tool, at least for now, and it, it may someday get integrated into Google Search, but it still exists separately and it's not being integrated into other applications. Maybe in the future we'll see it integrated into the Chrome browser and the Chromium derivatives, and Google has kind of hinted that it may open it up to third-party developers, but no commitment as of today. So as we're coming to an end to today's episode, we thought we should leave you with a clip of Mira Marathi, the CTO at OpenAI, where Mira is going to be talking about the future of this technology as a part of this ABC News segment. You're spending 24-7 with this technology. You're one of the people who built this technology. What is most concerning to you about safety? This is a very general technology. And whenever you have something so general, it is hard to know upfront um, all the capabilities, uh, all, all the potential impact of it, as well as its downfalls and the limitations of it. Can someone guide the technology to negative outcomes? The answer is yes, you could guide it to negative outcomes. And this is why we make it available initially in very constrained ways. So we can learn what are these negative outcomes? What are these, um, uh, the ways in which technology could be harmful? Such as with GPT-4, we, you know, if you ask a question to GPT-4, can you help me uh, make a bomb versus the previous systems, it is much less likely to follow that guidance versus the previous systems. And so we're able to intervene with um, at, at the pre-training stage to make these models more likely to refuse direction or guidance that could be harmful. What's easier to predict today? based on where we are, humans or machines? I'd probably say machines, because there is a scientific process to them that we, we understand, and uh, humans are just, there's so much more nuance. Does the machine become more human-like over time? We are getting to a point where machines will be capable of a lot of the cognitive um, work that, that humans do at some point. Is there a point of no return in that process? There could be, there could be, um, but it's not obvious what that looks like today. And our goal is to make sure that we can predict as much as possible in terms of capabilities before we even develop these systems, as well as limitations. So that's all from us today, folks. We'll see you next Thursday for a brand new episode for Mike Belsito, I'm Michael Saka, and this is rocketship.fm. Thank you so much for listening to rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.